Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. David, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yeah, uh, I am having trouble removing what appears to be mold in the grout between old four by four inch tiles in my shower. And I know other people that have had the same problem. We've tried bleach, yep. uh, tried other cleaners, and it is stubborn, and it has not gone away. Older shower? Oh, uh, well, 20 years. Yeah. The but I've never had a problem until recently. Yeah, well, the unfortunate thing is, once those molds start growing, uh, they're like any other plant. They have roots that kind of reach out and lock themselves into the grout. And so you can get it off, but you're still going to see traces of it, and it grows back again. Uh, there are some things that you can try on it. And uh, one of the things you can try is some enzymes that actually attack the molds and mildews themselves and kill them. Uh, Wet and Forget, Spray and Forget are two brands that you could get. I'm sorry, what were those again? It's called Wet and Forget. Okay. And, and spray and forget. And you would literally spray these on there and leave it. It soaks in uh, and tends to kill the stuff. And then next time you're using the shower, it rinses off. So it's not like you got to do a bunch of scrubbing with it. The other thing, okay. and I just re- I just saw this a week ago. Uh, I I personally love the way scrubbing bubbles works. And they have okay. come out with a new product for the molds and mildews in showers. And okay. I, I have not seen it at the stores yet, but I haven't looked for it either. Uh, but I'll, I, I use their other products for cleaning pipes and different things like that all the time, and it works great. So uh, and that may be something you want to look for. Well, that's very helpful. I've tried everything that Lowe's or Home Depot carry. And none of those did the job. Yeah, it, it, it is a difficult thing. And and truthfully, typically once a grout gets that old, it's next to impossible to kill it. Eventually, you end up just removing the grout and, and regrouting. Well, what about these companies that advertise that they clean grout? Could uh, they do better than I? They Well, they'll come in with steam cleaners and things like that. And they will get it nice and clean, but it doesn't kill the roots and it does come back. Okay, well, I appreciate your help very much. All right, David. Good luck Thank with you. that. You bet. Bye. Bye-bye. Daisy, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Hi, Jim. Hello. We have a landscaping question. Uh, it's a terraced area in the back that goes down to the water, and it's a couple of tiers down, and it's old um, ties, like the railroad ties right now that's deteriorated. Well, what would you recommend uh, as far as um, going right down to the water for erosion? And how high is the the wall? Well, you know, it's a terraced wall. It's probably two uh, drops of six feet each um, that go down to the water. There's a stairway in the center of about 10 feet, and then along the water on each side of that, the span of the wall is probably 10 to 12 feet. So it's terraced, yeah. definitely. It's on a yeah. slope. Okay. Typically, 
uh, on a on walls of that nature, I'm either going to go with the interlocking blocks or with the stone walls. Okay. Uh, because they they can be toehold down into the soil well and and keep everything from moving. Any walls, and this is just for everybody listening now. Any retaining wall that goes over four feet high needs to be engineered. And a lot of times you'll find, you know, some of the fly-by-night contractors, they'll come in and build them without the engineering, and right. the, darn, the darn thing starts moving again right away. Well, I know. Uh, this is a really old area, yeah, uh, and it's it's falling in now, and I think they say you can't really replace them with the material that's down there now. So that makes sense. Stone is really pretty, yeah. and I guess you... Uh, put something behind it you're talking about natural stone like maybe a flagstone or a builder yeah stone. normally you you behind it you use just kind of what's called a throwaway stone it's not okay. not a pretty stone or anything but i like to a lot of times contract or uh, engineers will design it for just uh stackable you know where it's just gravity stack it i always mortar everything together to lock it and it makes a much solid more solid wall and then you got to make sure to have good drainage behind it because water is what's the enemy of the retaining walls the one thing i will tell you is the railroad ties are not allowed anymore because of what they leach into the soil just a reminder it's a huge help if you subscribe to rate and review the podcast it helps people find us rick welcome to texas home improvement how can i help you I'm on the board of an HOA, and we've got some sidewalks and the driveways that have sunk. Uh, some of the uh, sidewalks are down as much as 10, 12 inches, like on one side, and, and you know, uh, it's bad construction. Uh, but been hearing these commercials about some sort of a polymer that you can put under concrete, whether it's patios or whatever. Yes, and polyurethane. Just wondering about your opinion on those for those purposes. Uh, I actually own one of the trucks that do that, and it works very well. But quite honestly, if you're down 10 and 12 inches, I would not recommend it. At, uh, when it gets down that far, you're better off to break the concrete out and put new in than to use the urethane. Uh, it just gets too expensive when it gets that thick. Okay, what's the maximum amount you would recommend? Uh, typically, I'm not going to go over three, four inches. At that, I'm going to start looking at either using mud pumping or just plain taking the concrete out and putting new in. So isn't mud pumping uh, similar to the uh, the polymer? Very much so. It's just a cheaper process, uh, less expensive material. The big difference is when you use the polyurethane material, you're only drilling a 5-8 inch hole through the concrete. So it's, it plugs very easily and doesn't show. When you mud pump, you're typically drilling anywhere from an inch and a half to a two-inch hole. So it's going to show. Uh, and there's, again, limits on what you can do with it. Uh, you know, if it's a larger area that you're picking up, the mud pumping will actually do very well when it's thicker like that because it's it's just inexpensive because the mud is nothing more than topsoil and um, concrete or Portland concrete, you know, mixed into it. And then it's pumped into underneath the uh, structure there, underneath the concrete, and pumps it up that way. Is it a question of 
cost that you would do something like that versus breaking it out, or are there other factors? Uh, typically, it's strictly cost. Which one is cheaper? Uh, in in the order, urethane is going to be the most expensive. But in if you're dealing with anything less than four inches, I definitely would look at urethane. Uh, next would be the mud pumping. Then would be concrete. Uh, con- uh, you know, replacing it. And it again, it's all going to depend on how far down it is. But when you're, you told me some sections are ten to twelve inches, that's a tear out and replace. Got it. Kind of figured as much. Yeah. All right. Thank you, sir. You bet. Take care, Rick. And, you know, you get into aesthetics and stuff like that as well, but uh, concrete is concrete. It can be matched back to a degree. Here's the issue you run into when you have old concrete next to new concrete. The old concrete has dirt that's built up over the years. It's faded. It's discolored, things like that. So when you put new concrete in... It's going to be nice and bright and white and stick out like a sore thumb. But down the road, it will darken. It will uh, blend in better. It will never match the original concrete. But if you've got uh, you know, sidewalks and, and patios and things, it's typically just not that expensive to tear them out and replace. And so that's why I say if you're getting where you got a, a bunch of money going into simply... Picking it up, now it's, let's take a look at replacing it. I don't want to put more into urethane than it would cost to literally just jackhammer the concrete out and replace it. And the way the cost on urethane is done, it's basically by the pound for the material. And so for every inch, there's so many pounds of material that go into it. And that's the way it's calculated out. So once you hit that magic number, it's time to flip over to just taking the concrete out or at least give that option to the property owner. Ralph, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, good afternoon, Jim. Afternoon. I'm looking. I've got a 20-year-old home that's all electric. And um, looking at adding propane for the heater, water heater, and most importantly, the stove top. Okay. Can you make some suggestions on finding a plumber to do that? I've, there's so many of them out there, and you know how to how to pick one over the other, and somebody that does that for a living. You know the the you're not going to find one just somebody who that's all they do is the propane, uh, you know, or installing those pipes. They're, they're going to be a regular plumber who's doing other type of plumbing as well. Because there's just not enough of that to make a full-time career out of it. Uh, so that's the reason plumbers do all all phases of plumbing. Uh, but I will tell you, when you're looking for a plumber, the th- biggest thing you have to be careful of is do they actually have a license? It is just amazing to me how many people are out there doing plumbing work that don't necessarily have the proper licensing. And that's becoming a bigger and bigger problem in the industry because, uh, one, plumbing is expensive, and two, to be able to qualify to get a license has become tighter and tighter to the point where people are now finding it cost-effective to avoid getting the license and just plain go do plumbing. Uh, So make sure that they're a legitimate company, carry insurance for doing plumbing work, and 
you know, then go ahead and let them do what they need to do. Um, beyond that, I, I think that's the biggest thing uh, because it is a regulated industry. Just make sure that, that they have the proper cred- credentials and insurance. Great. Is there anything specific to look for during the install to make sure they get right or problem uh, the, areas that people run into? Yeah, the biggest thing you want to look at is what materials are they going to use? Because you got a choice between going with, uh, you know, just the black pipe, which is the way it used to all be, to now they're using more flex hoses and stuff. Uh, and then as far as things to watch out for is any place where they got to run the hose that is exposed. Uh, and I shouldn't say exposed. Any place where they're going to run the hose that a nail could be, put in for hanging a picture or for reattaching something needs to have a nail plate over it. Now, typically the nail plates only go over the studs where the pipes are running through it, but you want to make sure that happens because it it amazes me how often we manage to hit these pipes later (laughs) in life, you know, when we're doing things to the houses. Uh, Sure. And then make sure that you, that everything is secured in the wall before the walls are closed up. Because uh, you're going to have the stubs coming out in order to tie into. And you don't you want to be able to grab whatever is sticking out and it's not shaking in the wall. So they will have to pull the sheetrock or cabinets down to and, run it behind? Or? Uh, they won't necessarily have to pull the cabinets down, but uh, they'll drop it down. And in some places, we'll have to cut through the sheetrock. Right. In order to secure everything. Okay. Now, nor- so normally it- you're going to have to you're going to have a hole in the top and in the mm-hmm. bottom, D- inside the wall itself. You typically don't have to worry about it tearing out the okay, sheetrock. Okay, good. Um, and then, do you have a preference over the poly or the metal pipe for long term? Or honestly, <laughs> I re- I really don't, uh, because uh, both of them have their they're uh, pluses and minuses, so yeah, I really don't uh, have a a preference anymore. Used to be they did a lot of them with copper, rolled mm-hmm. copper, but that's not allowed anymore because they found the gas was eating the copper up. <laughs> All right, well, fantastic, sir. I do appreciate it. Dwayne, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you today? So I I have a an upstairs bathroom that uh, when the tub is being used and the tub is drained i hear it drip in the downstairs bathroom but when the shower is being used it, there's no drip so i'm assuming that maybe the with you know when you have a tub full it probably raises the level up higher than the maybe the p-trap there might be yep. a something there that's leaking yes one of the you know in the p-trap it's it, there's usually just kind of like when you look under your sink how it's got the on the uh, P-trap, the nuts that you tighten up by hand, mm-hmm. under the bathtub is usually about the same. Okay. A little bit bigger, though, I would assume. So. Uh, actually, no. Oh, really? No, okay. it's still still about the same size. Because there's really just not that... Uh, the toilet is bigger, but the sinks and showers and tubs are all roughly the same size. Oh, so, all right. Uh, but usually, if you look... On the back side of the tub, there should be an access panel. There's, there's not always, uh, but that is something that is readily 
has to be maintained periodically, and usually it's readily accessible. Now, yes, sir. In this case, unfortunately, no. There is no access panel. Oh, not good. No, uh, no. <laughs> what's, it, what's it back up to? To the uh, toilet. There's a little toilet. Uh, not, it's not really a, a water closet because it doesn't have a door, but it's like one without a door. Okay. Okay, so you could cut one in there and install a panel so you could have full-time access then. Okay, but I could ac- I can't access the P-trap from there. I couldn't I didn't know how slow down it was, but it's, it, it would be there. Yeah, it's all it's all the way down, but mm-hmm. you, typically uh the, the floor will have a cutout for it to go through. Oh, and so if okay. you if you can go through the sheetrock there and they make regular panels that you can install like regular door panels that you can install mm-hmm. after cutting the sheetrock so get one of those first so you can cut it to size yeah. that so way get, you don't have to so do sheetrock repair so, so i can get that uh, the dimensions i, I see yeah. okay well i and, think uh, i can handle and, that and then that can just be tightened up and you should be fine yeah. i appreciate it jim i enjoy you your show well thank you much from george and rawlett hiring a contractor and his question is one that gets asked quite often, but, you know, there's different answers for it. Should a contractor demand over 30% deposit on a room addition? And that's his entire question. And this is why I like you to call in, because uh, if you call in, we have a discussion on this, and I I get a little more information. But here's the, the generic answer is, it depends on what they're doing. If the room addition is a bathroom and there's some custom countertops for instance that you want they're going to require that deposit before they order those countertops and custom countertops you know even a a granite countertop you don't necessarily just walk in say hey that's what I want and you get it the next day a lot of that stuff has to be ordered weeks ahead and in a situation like that absolutely they're gonna ask for that money up front because it is totally useless to anybody other than you if it's a custom order. So it could be custom cabinets, could be custom whatever. That money is going to be collected up front. Now, if it's just a room addition, nothing in it, um, you know, it, it depends on what and how long this project's going to be. You're asking the contractor to front all the money for materials and different things like that. Uh, they're typically not in the business to do that. So that's usually what they get the deposit for, is to cover the upfront cost of materials. So to, to answer is 30%, yeah, a lot of times that is in line. Uh, anywhere from 20 to, I have seen as much as 50%. And typically, if it's going to be a 50% deposit on room additions and stuff like that, that is typically going to be where there's a lot of custom orders going into it or it's a really large addition where they're having to order special beams and different things like that that again are not going to be useful on another project unless they end up with something similar to what you're having done so in general yes that is an acceptable amount now I want to know who I'm dealing with before I'm going to write that check so you need to do a little background and you know make sure you're dealing with somebody reputable no, not just somebody that you, this is your first time meeting them and, uh, you know, you haven't done any any homework yet to make sure that they are a legitimate contractor. I will tell you my business for the foundation repair division, we normally get 
the day we start the job and the other half upon completion. We don't get anything up front, but the day we show up with materials and people digging and all that kind of stuff, that's when we're going to collect the first half. Uh, but when it comes to our air conditioning division, if we're coming in to say put in a new air conditioner, we're usually collecting all that upon completion because it's a, a one-day job. Uh, so it, it really just depends on what all is having to take place. But yes, a 30% deposit, it, it's within reason. It's very common to be 25. You know, I, I mentioned R22 because I've been getting a lot of calls and emails on R22 as we're approaching the end of R22 and our systems. And a lot of people are concerned that if they have an R22 system, do they have to have it replaced by the end of the year? No, you do not. Not even remotely. What's going to happen is at the first of the year, they can no longer manufacture R22. They can no longer import R22. The fact that we have a stockpile of R22 makes it where you can use your system until it wears out and R22 will be available. Now, if you go back a few years ago, you know, the cost of R22, and this is for your air conditioning system, your older air conditioning systems used R22 coolant. Now the new ones are using 410A, uh, but, and that was because they have passed laws that you cannot any longer make systems designed for R22, and you can no longer sell them and install them and all this kind of stuff. And it's getting to, on the, like I said, January 1st of 2020, they can no longer manufacture R22 coolants. There are some people out there who are saying, yes, oh, you can you can still put R22 systems in. No. Nobody's installing brand new R22 systems. There are some generic systems where you can get the outside com compressor, you know, the condensing units outside, but not the entire system. And this rule is still in effect that January 1st, they will no longer be manufacturing R22. But if you've got a current system, you are fine. There is a huge stockpile of R22 coolant. You know, a few years ago when all this started, the cost of R22 started to skyrocket. And it, it became actually very scary at how expensive R22 became. Now the cost has dropped back down because, first of all, the manufacturers have a huge stockpile that they're wanting to get rid of. And second of all, fewer and fewer people are having R22 systems. So there's a smaller pool of people for them to sell the R22 coolant to. Therefore, the cost is coming down for the R22. But rest assured, those systems are gone. They are not coming back and they will not be coming back. Will there be a new coolant down the road? <laughs> you can count on it. They're not going to leave this alone, but the R22 is a dead horse. Just don't worry about replacing your system simply because you have R22. You're going to be just fine. Donna, how can I help you? Yes, sir. I have a house built in the 70s. It's pure and bean. And I want to know what is the appropriate spacing that the uh, piers should be under each beam? On a okay, it's pier and beam. It really depends on the beams that they put in. Uh, you know, if they just used a 
four by six beam underneath there, it's going to be closer than if they used laminated, uh, you know, two by sixes. So no, they're not laminated. It's the four by six. Okay, if it's it's if it's four by six, you're typically going to be looking at something in the eight foot range. Every eight feet. Yeah, that's that's usually what they are. Yeah. Okay, because this is a two-story loft, and I've got a soft spot that uh, I think one of the piers has shifted. So I'm having somebody come out to lift the house, and I just want to make sure that I have enough piers under do the Do not. How, how old a house is this? 1970s. Okay, do not let them start adding more spots in there. And, okay. and here's why. The soils are used to where that house is sitting right now, on top of those piers. The soil has right. been consolidated under those piers. If they start adding new spots in addition to the ones you have, every time the moisture changes in the soil, it's going to move differently. Okay. And it just creates a lot of problems. You need to get it adjusted, yeah. but don't let them add a bunch of new stations on you. So replace or add to what is already there. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Thank you very much. That's You're welcome. my question. All Thank right. You. Take care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. We're going to Alvarado. Hello, Tom. Well, good morning. Morning. Well, come on now. It's after lunch. It's it's uh, <laughs> afternoon yeah. now. Oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, I was calling about my mom's house. They they've got a uh, garage metal building with an addition that was built to match on the back of it uh, to put a. A pool room for the pool table. Okay. And so that was built probably a couple of years after the garage, poured cement up, up in there. And it's not, it doesn't have a, a finish on the floor. It's just, just concrete, just for playing games in, you know. It's a pool and, hall. Um, but the cement in between the, the two buildings where there's the crack there, uh, Aesthetically, it's never bothered anybody. It's, it's just a little crack and, you know, no big deal. But this week I noticed right in the middle of the room, right up where that crack is, the ants have discovered that crack. Ah. So I'm thinking I need to um, kill the ants and maybe seal that somehow uh, or put a floor leveler down in there or something to fill that crack. It's It's... It can't be more than a quarter inch, you know, maybe a half inch and a little bit. Uh, you know, it's not a straight cut through there. It's just a... But a it, is, four up, up it is opened up a quarter to a half inch, somewhere in that range? Probably. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that, that tells me there's probably a reinforcing issue because it shouldn't be able to open up that wide. If it is if it is indeed that wide, then yeah, you can seal that up using epoxy, and uh, they have a concrete binding epoxy that can be injected into it that will bond the two sections together. Now, okay, that's not to say it won't crack again somewhere, but typically where the uh, epoxy was put is actually stronger than the regular concrete. And okay. is this something you want to try to do yourself or you want to have it done? No, I'll try to do it myself. Okay. Uh, if you'll go online, uh, and, and actually, white, uh, I'm, I, you know, I got to get Whitecap as a sponsor here. I refer them a lot. 
Uh, if, <laughs> I heard if, that on I heard that on the last question. Okay. Yeah, but they're an industrial supply store, and one of the products they do carry is epoxy, and you'll have to get a special gun to inject it because it'll come where it's got two tubes, and it mixes as you squirt it out, and it's got a little mixer end. And you can literally just inject it into that crack. Now, they make several different types of epoxy. Some of them you have to seal over the crack and then inject it under pressure. Others you can just literally squirt into the crack and let it soak in and seal up. I prefer the ones that you can just squirt, especially the size crack you have, squirt it straight in and, and let it uh, fill it up. One thing, because you're as wide as you are, you may end up putting a little sand in there in order to not use quite as much material, but also just to fill that gap. And the epoxy will soak down through the sand and bond all that in it together as well. Okay. So, but, but yeah. What, you, did you, what, what did you call it? What kind of epoxy is it? It's a epoxy, it's, it's a concrete crack mender. Okay. <laughs> That's simple enough. That's simple enough. And if you right. ask if you ask for that, they'll they'll be able to get you the right epoxy. All right, and um, if you don't mind, one more question. Nah, go ahead. Um, the driveway that was poured later. Good job on the driveway, but they, I mean, as far as it seemed good and solid, and it's been there for probably three years, but. Uh, there's one spot where there's a puddle. Okay. Um, and we had somebody come with a concrete saw and make a slot to try to drain it out. Of course, that just fills up with dirt, you know? Yep. Is is there something we can do to get rid of that puddle? If it was poured in the concrete, honestly, not really, other than what, what you already tried, which is cutting a drain for it. If it's something where the concrete shifted just a little bit after it was poured, you could inject polyurethane under it to pop it up some. And I guess you could do that even though it was poured with it in there. But what will happen if if it was poured with the little dip and then you inject the polyurethane to make it come up, you're likely to get a crack in the surface, but it won't be that big a deal. Okay. So it, it can be dealt with. How much? How, how deep a water are you getting? Um, enough to get your socks wet. <laughs> oh, yeah, you that's know. that's more than a little dip then. And yeah, and, it, it, and it did that from the day it was poured, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it it was a, a dry summer, so we didn't notice it for three months. But yeah, uh, you know, after, you know, it was a nice job. They, they, it, it looked beautiful. Yeah, we, didn't, we just didn't realize there was a dip. Yep. Truthfully, I know typically when they saw cut, they only cut an eighth of an inch because that's the width of the blades. Right. Uh, truly, if you'll run two or three of those lines right next to each other to where you open that little trench up to being more like a, you know half inch wide. Okay. It, it won't plug up with dirt as much. Okay. And it'll, it, that probably would be a better fix than trying to inject urethane underneath to pick it up. Okay. Yeah, when it's clear with dirt, I mean, it'll it'll puddle up while it's raining. 
But as soon as it quits raining, you wait 10 minutes and the puddle's gone. But if, yeah. there's, dirt, if there's dirt there, you know, you, you got to be on top of it and go out and sweep out the crack, you know. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, you got any kids? Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're well, do you have any kids, Tom? Oh, yes, I do. I have. They still have at home? I have one at home, eleven year old. Well, she'll see, be eleven this summer. Get get her a slicker suit, and every time it's raining, you just send her out there to sweep off the dirt first, and that way it'll drain. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You want to ride your bicycle on that driveway anyway? <laughs> yep, there you go. All right, all right. Take care, Tom. Uh huh. Thank you. Bye. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.